the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. And Jacob, we are here in the studio ready to spend the next 90 minutes with you talking about all things biblical. We'd love for you to join us. Uh, We make our journey every year through the entire Bible from Genesis all the way back to the maps at the end of the Bible, the end of the New Testament. Maybe we should say we make our exodus. Uh, you've got that on your brain, don't you? He came in tonight singing uh, Pat Boone's song, This Land Is... What is it? This land is mine? God gave this land to me. God yeah. gave this land to me. Yeah. Well, gave don't sing it for them, all right? You know, you, you're under contract here, so. <laughs> and, oh. and we don't want to lose our three listeners, you know. <laughs> and besides, you have to pay royalty if you do that. Yeah, that, that's true. Well, we are welcoming you. My name is Soapy, my friend, my partner, my buddy. His name is Jacob, and we are ready to continue our way. Through the Bible, we uh, make our journey every year, and we are right now in the, I think, these two great books, the great prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. I think we take those both. No, we don't take on uh, Jeremiah. Not yet? Okay, just Isaiah. Just Isaiah. But do we go from Isaiah, do we go to Jeremiah, or do we go back to pick up at uh, Hebrew? I think we go back to the book of Hebrews and James, if I I remember correctly. But anyway, we're in the book of Isaiah tonight. Uh, this great, great prophet Actually, of God. Uh, Considered uh, perhaps the greatest. We're going to go to chapter 40 tonight. Right. We don't uh, finish 
Isaiah goes all the way to 60. 66, yeah, yeah 66. 66 books. So we're going to finish up this section. Uh, the Isaiah is, uh, the book of Isaiah uh, is kind of in two sections from chapters 1 through 39 have to do with uh, the announcement of judgment um, on the people of Israel for their sin and disobedience Yikes. and also on other nations. Uh, there are seven other nations that are spoken to by the prophet Isaiah uh, announcing judgment and, and on them and so on. But then you, chapter 40, the whole tone, the tone of the book changes. You can even tell in the opening words, Isaiah chapter 40, if, if I remember correctly, starts out with the words, comfort ye, comfort ye. And it takes on a, right. it, it begins going a different direction. Is that right? It does. Uh, well, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your yeah, God. He's the he's known among the Jews as the great prophet of consolation. Great, and that interesting. Okay, well, so that picks up there in chapter forty, and the rest of the book there is about his promise of of restoration that he he's, be comforted that God is still with you. You, uh, we're going to re, you're going to be restored. Uh, and so on. So it's a very, very interesting thing. Uh, book. It parallels in some ways. There's 66 chapters of Isaiah, 66 chapters in the Bible, uh, 66 books in the Bible. The first uh, 39 chapters of Isaiah have to do with God's direction and so guidance. There's 66 and so books in Isaiah. 66 chapters. Oh. Now that's that's what I meant to say. But I and, think you did. And, and, and then you have those chapters, and there are 27 chapters and 27 books. Uh, 27 books in the New Testament. So it's kind of, I don't know, somehow I always kind of put those Do things together. you know together. what's in Isaiah tonight? Yeah, in, in, the, in uh, the readings. Isaiah's go- got so much in it. Uh-huh. I always feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. It's I, <laughs> Isaiah chapters. I don't know where to start. 15 through 39, and you're indeed right. There are a great number of wonderful teachings and guidance and important points. Uh, uh, and, I, Jacob, I'm going to count on you to lead us through it because, uh, uh, I mean, I, I know I have my own perspective of the book of well, Isaiah. And, and, it, and it's probably right. And we Christians do. We know we look at the book of uh, Isaiah. We, uh, Frankly, you take Handel's Messiah was based to a great degree from the writings of Isaiah um, chapter 7 and so on on great great chapters uh, Isaiah was one very much in in tune with God's redemptive plan he talks, talks a lot a great deal about the Messiah the Redeemer who's coming and so on but uh, I, I want you to kind of guide us as we look at these well there's chapters, something so really right? really really interesting in Isaiah there's a lot of things interesting in Isaiah but the one thing that really but these other me. things are really interesting oh right? yeah this one like is really like you know Hey, Luigi, this is real, you know? <laughs> okay, uh, well, but, what is it? But Actually, years ago, when I was trying to determine, because uh, a lot of people say, oh, well, the Bible's not from God and that kind of stuff. So there were two aspects I'm going to share with you and only what, however many few friends we have happen to be listening. Um, so I had two things I began to look up. One was about the kosher animals. So I searched the world over to see if there was a kosher animal that did not meet the descriptions. Because of my theory was that it had to be the same throughout the world if it was really from God. Okay, wait a minute. Now, kosher, uh-huh. you, you're talking about 
a, an animal that is kosher, uh, but that does that not does meet, not the, meet conditions. The, the biblical requirements for identification, but it would be considered kosher. And there is one? No, there is not. There's not. And okay. so that was one of the, my early endeavors to find out, could I find something? Because that hmm. would prove that, uh, well, maybe the Bible was not that The whole concept of slaw. Yeah, yeah, because, but if they're all the same, then a guy can only write that must know about every animal in the world. That was one item. The other one I went for was the moon, and that's in Isaiah tonight. Okay. The moon. All right. You've heard of the moon, right? I've heard of it. Yes. Well, actually. Didn't we send somebody there one time, sometime well, back? Yeah, it was on television. They anyway. say? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so what we did is we had, uh, I started looking because I thought, well, we all know by science today that, uh, um, that the uh, that the moon reflects light, does not give off light, right? Now we know that. Right. So I thought one of my other one of my endeavors, and I, this is I was younger and I was researching everything in the Bible. Those are the two areas I picked, and I worked hard to find something. <laughs> and so the moon was important. To I wonder what it says about you that you picked out these two areas. I, you know, because I think we all sooner or later people we all go through our little. Thing. Well, is this really true? I want to make sure that what I'm believing here is true. And you pick those two things. That's curious. Yeah, That's to me. Yeah, hmm? yeah, yeah. Well, it even gets curiouser and curiouser. All right. So I went down through the moon. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to tie this into Isaiah. Just work with me. Okay. So, um, in Genesis, it begins talking about there are two great lights, right? Right. Uh-huh. Well, one we know that gives off light one gives at night, one gives off light at day. Now, actually, you won't pick this up in English. I always wonder why somebody couldn't do that. But anyway. Wouldn't the, these two great lights, wouldn't it, is the terminology one, one, to, one rule, to rule the day, yeah, one to rule uh-huh, the night? Okay. Exactly so. So, at that point, if you're reading it, you're just saying, well, okay, one rules day, one rules night. Now, that was my first starting looking at the moon after I finished the kosher animals. Uh, then I went up and uh, I looked for the moon. And the first one is actually the the word for light uh, to, to rule the one at night is actually messing a letter of proper spelling. Well, when you look it up in the old ancient Hebrew guys that like to read this stuff, they said, well, the reason it's messing a letter is because the word is defective, meaning that the moon is defective because it doesn't create light. It only reflects light. Now, hmm. that's their rationale and explanation from Genesis. Hmm. Maybe true. Maybe not. And maybe they made a great cover story. Who knows? But so I went through all the moon. Now, I found even in the book of Job, it doesn't say that the moon makes light. Well, it just so happens in Isaiah tonight, we have the moon addressed. Chapter and, and verse. Chapter and verse is chapter 30. Mm-hmm. And it starts at, uh, let's see, uh, verse uh, 26. Okay. You have a Bible? I do. Uh-huh. I've Does got it, it there. Isaiah in it, or is that one of those new ones? <laughs> one of those new ones. 30, verse 26. And it t- Moreover, the light of the moon. Oh, wait a minute here. 
Yeah, keep going. Keep so going. what is Isaiah doing here? What is he talking about? He's talking about? about something. He's talking about the future. There will be on every high mountain, on every high hill, rivers and streams and waters and blah, blah, blah. Are you mumbling? Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days Ah, in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. Okay. Wow. Now, let's go back and look at the uh, moon and the sun. Uh It's distinguishing. This is one of the verses when I was searching out the moon. This is one of the verses I went on. This is years ago when I was looking up. I was trying to find things that could be wrong. Then I would say, well, you know, there is something wrong in the Bible, you know. And so I'd have to accept the criticisms. But actually, I came out with the opposite findings. But this one about the moon says, and I'm doing this from the Hebrew, the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will multiply sevenfold like the light of seven days. Now, what do you think, in your expert opinion, that that verse 26 means. Wow. Wow. This is a, in your, it's in, in your, a section where Isaiah, uh-huh. God is speaking, God is speaking, and he's talking about the time of their restoration, right? It will be part of that, yes. In the uh-huh. time, now then, I have a reference yes, to it, Isaiah it, chapter sixty, uh-huh. which says the sun sh- in the final time. Oh, you have one of those Bibles that gives a cross reference. Yeah, the sun. Oh, sh- one of those expensive ones. The yeah. sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor the brightness shall be the uh, shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. And it refers then to the book of Revelation. Which says there's no need for the sun by day and the moon by night because God will be in your midst and so on. Your sun, your sun shall no longer go down, your nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Very interesting. So there is this, there is a theme there you about have, sun a, and that moon. That must be one of those expensive Bibles that has all those references. Do you have also have a ring that's no, very expensive I am just that so you can brilliant. adjust the size on it? <laughs> I'm just so brilliant that I remember all of these different texts wow. where they... No, no, uh, and so, so this is talking about the time. Of, well, look, it's distinguishing something different about the moon, but it will be like the sun. Mm-hmm. So, what is the difference between we know between the moon and the sun? The moon does not create light; it only reflects the light. Reflects. Mm-hmm. Ah, and then it says the sun will be like sevenfold days, like seven days. Well, God rested on the seventh day, so every day. When God's with us, will be like the day He rested, because He'll be in our presence, and we'll all be doing the seventh day, seven days a week. That's okay. the idea. Oh. Isn't that interesting? It in, is interesting, in but it still your, doesn't remind me. It doesn't give me the. Uh-huh. And so, in other words, there will be an intensity. I, I guess the idea that we'll understand and know God in in in, in more completeness and and in more of intense, more light, more. And that to the degree that well, what, on the seventh day you're supposed to you know take it easy you know and and you, and what you do is you spend your time reading the Bible studying God being with God in other mm-hmm, words. Mm-hmm. so uh, in the future all days when you're with God will be like the seventh day okay and it's making a distinction something about the moon will be like the light of the sun and in the course of your Bible studies throughout 
throughout your ages. Uh, have you all dwelt on, ever dwelt and studied that particular passage? No, but I am right now, and I'm wondering something. It's making me... Uh, I, Go ahead, because I think I know where you're going. I had a Bible study this morning with the... Uh, That's what you're wondering? And we, were, and we were talking about this theme of of God's ultimate plan for humanity, for mankind, and so on. And the idea, I guess, is that in some way we were created to reflect the glory of God. Oh. That that we were created, uh, created in God's image, and that we reflect His greatness and uh, God, you know, His His intellect and emotion, will, His being as a person. In some ways, we we reflect the character and the in the uh, um, the nature of God. But will there come a time when <clears throat> when we will not only reflect it, but that? God is also at work building his character well, into us so that we will start having shining our own light, not just reflecting his uh-huh. his glory, but because of his work within us that we will actually I don't know. shine. Maybe that, that, that would that, be. That might be. A, I have never had that particular thought. Okay. But, you know, it sounds interesting. I do know this, that from the ancient sages, they interpret interpret this, along with some other passages that mean the same thing. Uh, it's a messianic reference. Okay. Now, do you happen to remember a time anywhere in the New Testament when Jesus was on the cross and the sky got dark? Uh-huh. uh-huh. You see, in the way of telling a Jewish story, a Hebrew story, uh, when the sun got dark... What would happen to the moon? It would darken as well. Oh, become light. Is that true? Yeah, sure. If the, at nighttime, look out the window. Oh, sure, sure. Of course, I get you. Is now. that true? Yeah, the moon's always lit up at night, so it's been a tradition. I got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember. I recall so, that vaguely. So actually, believe it or not, that, st- that reference in what the moon, the sky became dark... That has always been a very ancient, historic, long before Jesus, that there that would be an understanding of what will happen when the Messiah arrives. So that verse isn't just a verse that happens. It's something about the moon. Well, everything will be restored. In other words, the messing letter in the book of Genesis will then become added to the the messing will be placed in the word moon or light. And so everything shall be restored. And now the moon will be bright because the sky is dark, but it'll be like daylight. So I find it fascinating now what that tells me in the movies I see where the sky got dark and everybody's, oh, look how dark it is. They're not catching the ancient teaching. Now, maybe it's wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But the ancient teaching is, well, it's not going to be dark. The moon is going to be bright. And it's going to be like a daylight. It's going to be all restored. And that's always been the understanding. Well, uh, another incident I'm thinking of in the New Testament, when uh, Jesus of Nazareth, there was a moment when he took Peter, James, and John, and they went up on a mountain Mm -hmm. of transfiguration, and they see him, uh, they see him glorified, uh, speaking with Moses and, and with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there's something about Jesus in, when he appears in that, in that mode and in that particular place. He, he is shining. He is shining. He's not 
just simply reflecting the glory of the Father. But he has now, he shines himself, like kind of like, no longer the moon, but he's he's actually has a light of his own, which is kind of a curious yeah, thought. Yeah, sort of like Jerry Lee Lewis, the old rock and roll singer. He said, I shine like gold. I guess so, something like that. But, but it kind of go along with this theme of Jesus not only reflecting the light of the Father, but uh, ultimately in his role of Messiah, as Messiah, he... He at some point began to shine with his own, shine his own, own light. Uh, not only reflecting the glory of the Father, but he's transformed and changed to to have his own light to shine with. Uh, it kind of goes along with what I was saying before. But I, we're kind of out in the deep waters of theology there with that. Well, I don't know what it means. I, but. I, I don't know. I don't know what sharks you're fighting in those deep waters, but mm-hmm. I'm listening. Okay. Uh, but I all I know is that it clearly says the moon will be like the sun. Well, the difference between the two is one reflects, one creates. And so there has been an ancient, I don't know how old it is, but it's long before Jesus, that uh, the moon will be restored and it will be like the sun because it will also give off. Have a light of its own. Hmm. And so this is the theme that goes through that. Hmm. Now, maybe that will, maybe that won't, but this is that, that's been the idea and that's what it says. Now, uh, there's also. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that there's something in Isaiah about the Jews get kind of uh, chastised, you know, for not doing what they're supposed to do, right? Right. Let me see here. Uh, well, the first, uh, uh, yeah, we were talking about the first 39 chapters have to do with God's, Isaiah, I mean, Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on the people, on on the, not only, well, People of the, I, I, Isaiah comes after the time of after the fall of uh, of um, Samaria and the north, right? Yes. Does his time of his time involving at, Judah? Yeah. At, so he is mainly speaking to Judah, but uh, so Isaiah is preaching there about pronouncing judgment on. Uh, Judah warning them of their sin, but also he's pronouncing judgment on the Moabites, on the Ethiopians, on the uh, on the um, Philistines. There's seven nations that he pronounces judgment against them in his uh, in his book. Let me see. I was looking at my notes earlier today. That um, where is that? He is. Uh, I've got a list of those nations that he... Uh, oh, that's number yeah, 10. Number yeah. 10 on your question. Uh, yeah, it's Babylon, Philistia, Assyria, Moab, Aram with their capital in Damascus, Ethiopia, Egypt, Edom, uh, Arabia, and Tyre. He pronounces judgment on all of those nations surrounding Israel, those pagan nations. So... Um, th- that is a characteristic of his preaching as well, of the book of Isaiah. Uh, he he prophesied over a long period, right? About forty or fifty years, uh, I, I think. I think a little bit longer than that, actually. So uh, he was he was around a long time. I like Isaiah, and so he was much. well connected. Yeah, uh, yeah. He he, uh, he could talk to the king when he wanted to. Uh, many people believe this Amaz Amoz uh-huh. was uh, one of the brothers of the king himself. So that make. This guy a nephew, if that's correct. So he had access. All right. Well, what what else about the book of Isaiah? There's something I, I like to point out always. What's that? Uh, in Isaiah, in chapter 14, that's where we get the idea. Uh, uh, a lot of people don't know this. 
in the Christian idea of Satan, that he is a fallen uh, angel, that he's, uh, and that uh, some of those ideas about Satan come from the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. Isaiah, and, oh, yeah, yeah. and another comes from Ezekiel, chapter 28. And both of those, in both of those cases, the prophet is addressing an earthly king, an earthly uh, yes, emperor. Yes, that's right. And he starts out uh, in Isaiah. I think he's talking to Babylon. He's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. I believe, I believe that's true. That's correct, Isaiah yeah. fourteen is here, and he begins to pro- prophesy against the king of Babylon, who is going to, of course, uh, he's going to. Um, um, to be a great problem for the people of Israel and come, uh, and going to cause them a great deal of pain and trouble. Nebuchadnezzar does, and he talks. To, he starts off talking to an earthly king, but in the context of the verses, then you can see that he's no longer talking about an earthly king. He he's actually begins to talk of this earthly being, this uh, this this heavenly being behind this heavenly. The spiritual power behind this wicked emperor. What chapter and verse are you talking? Chapter fourteen of Isaiah. Yeah. If you look at uh, verses, uh, uh, oh, let's say start at verse nine, and he starts uh, uh, talking to this king, this proud, arrogant king uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he and he starts pronouncing judgment. In uh, verse four, says. Uh, it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord gives you, in the day of the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, and you will say to the king of Babylon, how, how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city is ceased, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, uh, he who struck the people in wrath with a uh, continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger and, and uh, is persecuted and no no one hinders. So he, he's announcing judgment on Babylon, on Nebuchadnezzar. And then look, he turns from talking to to Babylon, to the, this king, your your pomp, your pride has brought you down to Sheol. The sound of your stringed instruments, the mad maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. And then he jumps from talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He goes to talking about the spiritual power behind this earthly emperor. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. So they actually have the word Lucifer in there? That's what it says here, yeah, okay. uh, in, in verse 12. Okay. Does yours? No. Okay. Uh, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And so he talks about this, this, the fall of this art, this angel, this uh, spiritual power, how he was cast down from heaven because of uh, you shall be brought down to shale. Does it say? Uh, does it say uh, in the most distant parts of Zephon? No mention of Zephon what here. Does it say? Uh, what verse are you talking about? Thirteen. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. 
I was all, also sit on the mound of the congregation. And this is where we it get... Doesn't ha- it doesn't go on to say in the most distant parts of something? This is where we go. We'll come back and talk about that. Our music has come on. We've got to take our first break. 340-9585 if you'd like to join uh, our conversation. I think conversation. we uh, have some we'll, callers or something. Okay. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Offices at Loop 14 and Broadway has taken care of the dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. God equips us to overcome obstacles and complete the tasks he's given us to do. Our Daily Bread. Today's encouragement from the Our Daily Bread devotional was written by Kirsten Holmberg. We gathered monthly to hold one another accountable to our individual goals. My friend Mary wanted to reupholster the seats of her dining room chairs before the year's end. At our November meeting, she wittily reported her progress from October. It took 10 months and two hours to recover my chairs. After months of not being able to obtain the materials required, or find the quiet hours away from her demanding job and her toddler's needs, the project took merely two hours of committed work to finish. The Lord called Nehemiah to a far greater project, to bring restoration to Jerusalem after its walls had lain in ruin for 150 years. As he led the people in the labor, they experienced mockery, attacks, distraction, and temptation to sin. Yet God equipped them to stand firm, resolute in their efforts, completing a daunting task in just 52 days. Overcoming such challenges requires much more than a personal desire or goal. Nehemiah was driven by an understanding that God appointed him to the task. His sense of purpose invigorated the people to follow his leadership despite incredible opposition. When God charges us with a task, whether to repair a relationship or share what he's done in our lives, He gives us whatever skills and strength are necessary to continue in our effort to do what he's asked, no matter what challenges come our way. To get Our Daily Bread in print or ebook, visit getodbtoday.org. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Get the inside scoop on events and contests on AM630 The Word by becoming part of the club. Details at the top of the page at am630theword.com. That's am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Panic at the Disco has just released its sixth studio album, Pray for the Wicked. Fueled by a penchant for fusing pop, rock, and passion, this album zigzags wildly between optimism and cynicism, clear-eyed realism about the moment, and a nostalgic longing for the past. The album does contain some pretty positive messages. Unfortunately, that whole living in the moment thing can get messy with references to drinking, rolling blunts, and enjoying the do-whatever-you-want moments of your youth, all combined with some harsh profanity and some odd spiritual illusions here and there. So I'll give Pray for the Wicked a a 2.5 out of 5 for family friendliness. For more on the album, visit us at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Family, Plugged In. 
Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. Praise to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God and our King. To Him we will sing. In His great mercy, He has given us life. Now we can be called the children of God. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The Father has given us all right we are back you're listening to the bible live here on this great station and uh jacob is here with me we'll make our way through the entire bible every year uh discussing them here on the weekends uh we have a reading schedule that you can look at on our website thebiblelive.com and this week we've been spending our time in the book of jeremiah so we're picking, I, I'm sorry, I keep saying Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, and we are making our way through the 66, cha- 66 chapters of the book we're of Isaiah. We're making our way through Jeremiah by doing Isaiah. <laughs> there you uh, go. Listen, why don't we get, uh, we have some calls, why don't we get a couple of these callers out of the uh, You the got way. it. Let's go and visit with Kathy first, ladies first tonight. <laughs> Kathy, good to hear from you. I'm glad you called in. Thank you very much. Um, I would like to find out if I can ask a question to Jacob. Sure, of course. Um, ask him a I, really hard question, Kathy. All right, make it a really I'm hard question. I'm not going question. to tell you how much I got in the <laughs> bank, so forget that. <laughs> well, it's a question that nobody's answered for 2,000 years, so I guess maybe it's hard. Uh, not, I, I'm sorry, that was a... Uh, I didn't mean to be smart-ass. He's a little bit... That's a biblical term, you know. He loves the challenge, so let let, let him have it. Yeah, the fold of an ass, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That really was a very smart one because he actually talked. You know, there was one. Okay, so we've we've covered for you. Let's go forward. What you got on your mind, man? Well, I just wanted to know... uh, Jews are waiting for the Messiah. What are you looking for? How will you know he's here? I like your question. You do? You like her question? I do. I do. Why don't you answer? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Kathy, may I call you Kathy? Sure. All right. Well, um... I am not going to duck the question. I'm actually going to answer it for you. But before I do, may I ask you a preface question? Oh, sure. Okay. How would you know if you were back in uh, the first century A.D. uh, that Jesus was purported to be the Messiah? How would you know that? I think, wow, um, okay, they didn't have the New Testament. Uh, I'm, I'm, I guess you're talking about 
at the time of the apostles when they didn't have the New Testament yet. Is that what you mean? Yeah, the the New Testament was not written down. Uh So this guy shows up, and he starts talking about the Messiah. But you'll notice nowhere in the New Testament does nobody say, what in the world is a Messiah? What are you talking about? What is that? Who is that? What's that? They all seem to know about it. So how did they know? It was already a well-known concept, but right? Don't answer is that what the you're question, saying? Kathy Soapy. No, I, I wonder, is that what you're saying? That Yeah, everybody knew about the Messiah. But it doesn't. But nowhere in the Bible, in the Torah, there's not a chapter, chapter 47 that says, here are the listings of the Messiah. So they're not listed, but people seem to be able to identify a Messiah, but... Um, and today, you look in the New Testament, you look retroactively, you look backwards, say, oh, well, I can see it was. And, uh, but at the time, if you were there, what qualities or traits um, would you recognize to be proof of Messiah? Okay, be, being, being uh, living in Jerusalem, being a Jew, or being a Gentile? Oh, either one. It's, 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 a, it's, an, open, it's an open endeavor. You better be a Jewish okay. person, because that way you know about the uh, Old Testament scriptures, maybe. Yeah. Well, well uh, I don't know. I don't know a lot about the way Jews uh, talk about the Old Testament and the meanings, because I don't speak Hebrew, and I don't know all of the different ins and outs of the Hebrew language you and the way it's, tra- can, and the way it's me, translated. Yeah, let me make it easy for you. You don't have no, any of that. No, it's, it's, Just do it in no, no. Uh, uh, hey, I am, I am. Um, it's, uh, first of all, um, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Ah. That would be that would be number one. Well, and also he said he was, and then he proved it with a lot of things. And he number one, what would really seal the deal for me is he brought um, someone back to life. And then number two, he said he was. He didn't deny it until the end, and he died for it. Uh, he died continuing to say he didn't change his mind. He went to the cross and gave his life uh, still saying that. Okay. And then, of course, he resurrected, right? I, uh, well, okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, since I didn't, I, I, would, I, would, I would believe, yes, that he was, well, because he appeared to. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I probably on. would be one of the ones that he appeared to. Okay. Now, do you happen to have your Bible with you? Oh, I sure do. It's not open. Well, okay. open it. By all means, let's let's go ahead and take a moment to look at it. Okay. Uh, Where? Where? Uh, okay. I have a New American Standard. Oh, I like that one. That's a beautiful Bible. Uh, look at the see. I believe, if memory works, it's Matthew twenty four twenty four. Mm-hmm. Okay. What does that say, Kathy? Matthew twenty four twenty four. Ah, twenty four twenty one twenty four. Hearing aid, Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Ah, see, I remember I had that in my mind. And this is Jesus speaking, right? Yes, okay. he is. And so Jesus himself is saying, hey, listen, don't believe in miracles. 
death, raising somebody from the dead, him dying, coming back, that's definitely a miracle. Yet, it is, and, and I, here, I do believe that the uh, devil cannot do, cannot perform a miracle well, like okay, that. Okay, all right, that's that's good. You believe that, but look what he's saying. He's saying, "Hey, don't believe in miracles. That is not the proof of messiahship. Not from the I'm fine. Maybe so bold as to say from the Jewish point of view, and I would encourage not from the Christian point of view. And I would even go further mm-hmm. to say." Uh, Jesus himself is saying miracles are not the proof. Now, can the Messiah do a miracle? Sure. But is that the standard of proof? And he says, don't believe that because there will be false guys that can do it. One that comes to mind are the guys back in Egypt. When Moses did a couple of tricks, they did a couple of tricks too. So Mm -hmm. bad guys can do tricks. So the things you named miracles... Uh, wonders, signs, all that kind of stuff, would never be proof alone. Of the Messiah. No, to a Jew. But it would be proof enough for me. It would be proof enough for me. Yeah, and that's what you ask her, you know, Uh, what would... And And so, so what he's saying is, the reason I had you look at that verse is, Jesus is saying, miracles don't prove... Messiahship. Messiahship. Now, he can do the miracles, and that's good. But there's so if you were a Jew in the first century and somebody was doing these kind of endeavors, by the way, so you know, a sign is a positive thing. A wonder is a negative thing. A miracle is something that changes the course of nature. So uh, so he's saying, don't believe that the miracles, even resurrection from the dead is a miracle. And he said, Jesus himself is saying, that's just one I can think of. I know there are others. And he always cautions people, don't believe that. So if you were back in the first century. One, one of his criticisms uh, of the Pharisees was that, or of the people, that you're looking for a miracle, you know, and you come to me and say, you do this, do that. Good point. And good so point. He's saying, don't. Because, see, that's not proof of Messiahship. Okay. Now, if you were a Jew or non-Jew back in Jerusalem, but a knowledgeable non-Jew, because there are some Jews that are not knowledgeable even back then. But. There's something about Messiah that they seem to all know about. And yet there's no place we can look at chapter 127 of Deuteronomy and it says, here are the things you should look for when the Messiah shows up. It's not there. Yet they all seem to know. And so... So what would you look for? Well, I'm going to get to that. So the, I'm going to answer her original question. But right. the reason I did that is so that she would understand where I'm headed. Are you there, Kathy? Yes, yes. Actually, I didn't ask what you would uh, look for. I asked what for what Jews and I guess believing Jews or Orthodox the ones who are waiting for the Messiah. What would what will they? The ones who don't believe in Christ or uh, Jesus as the Messiah, but they're still waiting. So right. I'm uh, I'm asking and about them. That's why. And I didn't mean to take it down a, a bunny trail, but I, the reason I did that is because I want you to see that there's something else. That they're looking for. That they're looking for. And even back at that time, as Sopi said, Jesus kept saying, hey, listen, you guys keep asking for this. That's not the proof. Mm-hmm. In fact, I will just tell you that in the book of John, his disciples actually say to Jesus, you know, Jesus... You know the answer to all the biblical questions. So now we know you're the Messiah. We don't have to ask you anything else. Here's the answer. 
that you originally looked for. But I wanted you to catch the idea that it's not just a Jewish thing. Uh, it's not the. It's not signs. It's not resurrections. It's not miracles. All that's wonderful things, but those are miracles. Um, here it is in chapter throughout the Torah. You have all these stories about people doing things. Kathy, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm listening. So what you do is you decipher the quality or the characteristics that are the principle that somebody has done in those stories. And when you can identify that, you will know that is one of the qualities that the Messiah must exhibit. So, for example... Um, if uh, uh, Abraham did some things that we know that are absolute characteristics of Messiahship. So I'm going to say this, because since there is no chapter, we can look it up and it says, here's the qualities. What we do is the qualities, the characteristics, if you will, of the Messiah was presented to the world in advance of his arrival. So that when he arrived, people would say, hey, this guy checks out every point on the card. So, bearing that in mind, you know, one example you'll recognize is Moses leads people from Egypt. Egypt in Hebrew means boundaries of sin, or they're in sin. And so he leads them out of sin. And he takes them to the promised land, Israel, almost. Anyway, so... So we know that one of the characteristics of the Messiah is going to be he's going to take people out of sin. So you know that example is there. Okay. Now, so those stories teach us the qualities and characteristics we should come to expect in a Messiah. So there's no chapter that says, hey, when he shows up, he'll do this. But the stories teach us his characteristics. So they were put into the world prior to the Messiah's arrival. Now, in chapter 13 and chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, Moses gives us what you might call the most important crowning touch. He says, hey, if a guy shows up and he prophesies and it comes true or it doesn't come true or he does miracles, he does signs, whatever, and he can do all that, but he says, do not obey God's laws or do, or let's go after some other God. Then disregard him because he's not the Messiah. So, to answer your question, uh, the Jews will wait until the Messiah comes and reestablishes Israel. And he may do all these miracles. However, he will no way tell anybody to ever do any of the laws that are not God's laws or another God so that he will absolutely have to teach the Jews understand he will teach Torah he'll know it better than anybody else and we'll all come to understand exactly what things we are curious about mean so we will know this 
No. So that's part of the reason why they they weren't just being obstinate, and th- that's part of the reason why they continually ask Jesus questions. Right. Now, we can't know the motive of their hearts, and some of them probably were a little bit oh, badly maybe. intentioned. Some but, of them probably were. But, but, it, wouldn't, but it, wasn't negati- it wasn't negative that they asked him questions. That's what they were supposed to do. to do. Right. And there are some, I'm sure there are some people that don't want to give up their power or their influence. Uh-huh. But it is the proper thing to do for the disciples, for the Pharisees, for everybody. It's proper for Kathy to ask the Messiah sure. some questions. And that's, that's why no, wait, you, you said the disciples, the disciples the, said, It is the right thing you've to do. You've answered the questions, yeah. Never accept the prophet, never accept the Messiah on his word alone. He must know the Torah. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the catch, Kathy. You ready? Ready. I thought you might be. How are you going to know? If the guy that's answering the question for you is giving you the correct answer or not, if you do not know God's laws. You won't. Now, I'm going to tell you one more zinger. What you read into the book of Revelation, in, in the, at the end of the Christian Bible, right? Revelation? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathy, you know what I'm talking about? I do. Uh, I've read it many times. Great. Well, actually, believe it or not, what's in there when what the Christians call the second coming or the returning in their their understanding and their theology of Jesus, he comes and he does come as basically a conquering king. He does all the things that the Jews have expected the Messiah to do from the beginning. So when he comes back, he's actually going to do, according to the story in the Revelation, exactly what the Christians are reading that he's doing. And when he does all that, the Jews will say, now that's what we've been waiting for. Let's ask you a couple of questions about the Torah. He'll answer those great, and he will do God's laws, know God's laws. But what the Christians expect in the book of Revelation really is pretty darn close to what the Jews have said the Messiah will do since the beginning. Does that help at all? Uh, somewhat. Okay. I thought I did great. It, it kind of it confuses me too, Kathy. How, so, I, how could that possibly confuse you? Because well, I I have the same criteria. Uh-huh. I the exact same criteria. Uh-huh. Uh, I look for fulfilling the prophecies. I look for the quality of his life that he teaches Torah, that he teaches God's laws. If he taught about another God or he taught uh, he didn't understand God's laws, I would realize too that he's not the Messiah. But uh-huh. The point is, is that uh, it seems to me very clear that Jesus fulfills all of those that he and did. He teach, actually taught, taught Torah. He he, taught, he, yeah, everything that he taught, uh, uh, at least from my Bible, you can go back and cross-reference it with the Torah. Yeah, and, and, he, and he taught and God's he word. Even started, he even started his ministry uh, with that um uh, I have. I'm sorry. I, I don't know the. I, I know the gist of it, but I don't okay. have word for word. I'm, I'm bad with memory. No, okay. uh, where he talked, he t- he took the the scroll from the uh, in in the in the you know, synagogue. He, uh-huh. I, he wasn't in uh, uh-huh. Jerusalem. He took the scroll and read from the scroll that this is the uh, the uh, I have come to preach the acceptable word of the Lord. Yes. It, and there's more to it than that. Yeah. But uh, that is. Uh, from the Torah. Yeah, he was in, actually, he was actually, in Nazareth at the Actually, time. it's in chapter 6 of Luke, and he's quoting something from uh, Isaiah. 
yes, okay, going back to, yeah. yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking about. And yes, you're right, he does that. And I'm going to even strengthen your position, Kathy. I think Jesus, when I read the New Testament, I think he was strictly a follower, an observer, a doer of the laws of God. Because if you violate the laws of God, you're a sinner. So they say he's not a sinner, so he didn't violate God's laws. So I think he absolutely is following, teaching, and doing all God's laws. Now, Kathy, do you believe God can do anything? Oh, sure. Okay. Do you? Well, listen, for me, this cannot be true. But for the God, the number one and the number two can be the same number. But I don't know how, but he can make them the same number. So let's say if the Jews expected what you're reading as the second coming in the book of Revelation, it may be the second coming for the Christian's point of view, but it may be the first coming for the Jews, because that's what the Jews have been expecting a Messiah to do since the beginning. Oh, I understand that. Very, that's my understanding. Well, if they, if, so it's the first time for the Jews, second time for the Christians. So somehow the number two and the number one are the same number for God. But what you're reading, that you're expecting him to come back as a conquering lion, uh, um, he, that is what the Jews have said the Messiah is going to do. Now that's why many of them would not accept the idea of Jesus. Also, um, you may or may not know this on the practical side. The uh, the Romans uh, did not like Jesus very much, nor his followers, because he was declaring himself to be a king. The only king God could be Caesar. And so they couldn't have, so it was a very dangerous thing to do. And so, and all the priests in the temple were not from the, in fact, Caiaphas is not from the tribe of Levi. The question should be, well, how did he get in charge of the temple? Well, it's because Herod, who worked for Rome, uh, would appoint and sell the offices. So they took over. They kicked out all the real Levites. They put their own people in there, and they charged them or taxed them for saying prayers and doing religious services. They get the money in. They take a little bit for themselves. They send the rest on to Rome. Everybody got a little bit. That's why John the Baptist, who's 100% Levite, you'll find that in the book of Luke, both sides of his family, he is a Levite, but he's out at the Jordan River. Why is he not at the temple? Because when uh, Pontius Pilate came to Jerusalem, uh, he killed a number of the priests, and the rest that he left alive to send out into the community to tell what a ruthless guy he was. And so John the Baptist, who's 100% Levite, is not in the temple. These appointed priests who bought the offices, who are either apostate Jews or maybe not even Jews, are running the temple. John the Baptist is out there because that's where he had to be. That's why he's not at the temple. So you got all this going on, but they expected and they wanted. Let me assure you of one thing. Nobody wanted the Messiah more than the Jews. They wanted the Romans out. They wanted the temple reestablished. They wanted everything back the way it was supposed to be. And by the way, since I mentioned Herod, at the end of Deuteronomy, there's a law that you can never have a king in Israel that's not Jewish and not from the tribe of Judah. Herod was an Edomite. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a given, isn't it, that it would have to be a Jewish? 
It would have to be except my point is that Herod is an Edomite from Esau. So how did yes. he get to be king? Because the Romans who conquered Israel appointed an Edomite as king of and Israel. And put, put him in power. Yes, and then he started selling the offices. So to get down to the heart of your question, what you're expecting the Messiah to do in what's called the second coming is what the Jews have always expected will be the Messiah to do. So mm-hmm. when he does that, they'll say, oh, well, maybe I, it is. A I thing. have a question. And Kathy, you may have a question, a follow-up as well. We're coming up I, on. I a, do. I just have one short question, and that's it. Well, we're coming up on our break. Why don't I let you go ahead and put your question in, and we'll let it be kind of a teaser through the break, and we'll come back and, and uh, Jacob will, will speak to it. And and I've got a question that, that I want to ask him as well. But let's go with yours first. What's on? What was in your mind? What came up? Well, the first thing that I said would make me believe in Jesus is his raising Lazarus from the dead. Right. So, who, who, I have not read in the Bible where anyone else ever raised someone from the dead. My interpretation is that Jesus is the only one. There, no, there, there, were, there were others. Yeah. Elijah, oh, Elisha in the Old Testament, yeah. Raised somebody from the dead? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Elijah and Elisha, both of them. Oh, okay. Well, so in the New Testament, then, Jesus would be the only one? I think that's... Uh, well, I, Paul, uh, later Paul, on, Paul, but that was raises after, that was a young after man. Jesus. Uh-huh. Sure. But in the name of Jesus, he does uh, it, so, yeah. yeah. So, but so see, and I think Jesus is very, very wise, and he's teaching God's laws. He's saying, listen, people may be able to do it tricks or have science you don't know they can do things you don't understand so don't rely on that let the, watch them do that but listen carefully to them if they ever teach you anything but god's laws then they're not the messiah now i'm going to say that jesus was a hundred percent teaching god's laws well there's okay. our music we uh, thank you though uh, kathy you. your questions have been so so good and i'm going to follow up on them in this next hour so don't go away okay Oh, do you want me to stay on the line? No, go ahead. You can, if you'd like, you certainly may. We don't mind at all carrying you through the break. No, but, this is good. Okay. Yeah, this is fine. But don't leave us. Uh, keep listening because I think you're going to like. Uh, I, I'm going to ask Jacob a question based on the, you know, what we just now said. One of the yeah. things well, I want. For, just, just one comment. Sure. I don't believe what Jacob told me. I believe what I believe, and right. that Jesus uh, pr- proved it. So all he right. has his opinion, and I have mine. All okay, right. Instead of going in reverse, we'll be right back, everyone. Don't go away. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All 
All right, we are back. This is our final segment. Kathy was great last hour. I enjoyed yeah, I thought, very much I thought questions Kathy's and, yeah. uh, questions were good. Uh, and and I, I really respect that she doesn't agree with me. Right. And I and I and for her, I want her to believe exactly what she's believing and continue to do so. Uh, right. I, I, I'm going I'm to squeeze you a little bit on okay. some of your con- comments All to her, right. so maybe she'll like that, too, that we're well, I w- I, yeah, she, have a little follow-up I, question I think about she it. will. And Kathy can call in next week sure. and discuss it some more if she likes. Do you want to be – and I know – Particularly next week will be interesting because Why? we get from uh, Chapter 39. We'll move on to the great – the last part of the book of Isaiah, particularly – the great chapter 53, which kind of highlights the whole oh, as- yeah. Another aspect, evidently, of the Messiah that you didn't mention. You're saying that the, the, the Jews were looking forward to this conquering king, this great savior and redeemer and teaching Torah and all of that. But also there seems to be a very clear teaching in the book of Isaiah that the Messiah is going to be a suffering Listen before, and let's—I know you want to talk to me about something Kathy did. Mm-hmm. So, can we return to that? Because I know we had Harold hanging on for an hour. Yeah, let's go, Harold. You come on and visit with us and uh, uh, add to our conversation. Good to talk to you. Really? Hey, <laughs> it's good to talk to you all too. Thanks. Uh, we also—you started out with uh, no, you know, not really. Kathy did. Kathy woke me up. That's. That's supposed to be nice. That's she did, be didn't nice. she? You bet, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was an excellent caller and everything. Uh, you know, I'm more of a, I guess, uh, a now type of person. I had I had a couple of funny things happen. I kind of deal with what's happening to me, and I, I really need someone to talk to. I mean, I know I have people to talk to, but I think, Sophie Dollar, you really understand me and take your mind a little bit. So, you know, I'm, I'm... I'm thinking back. Um, it started out with a light in the darkness, and it wasn't Bud Light, but it was. It, you said it so much. It reminded me of my dad when he quit drinking when I was six years old, and he would take me to those AA meetings at Club Twelve, and this is 1965, probably or before. Is that Club right? You, you attended AA meetings with your dad. That's interesting. My dad took me all the time. I messed around with the coffee. I don't know. I cleaned the kitchen, and you know what? When when those guys got up there, and uh, I, I guess they said, you know, my name's so-and-so, and but for the grace of God, I'm here today. Uh-huh. And so I was exposed to God and the grace of God in a very early age, and it stayed with me all this time. But, back, you know, back to the studying of the Word, is it the Word? Is it really God's writing? You know, I, you know when you spend hours and hours studying the Word of God like, like I do, I'm sure other people do. I spent four hours just today, and there was a gentleman walked up to me. He said he recognized me, and he had a dog that used to be with a used to be a CNI dog. And he, what, what are you studying? And I said, oh, this and that. And well, I'm not into the spiritual type of things. And as he walked off, I just thought, well, you were you had a dog that led the blind for I don't know how long. I thought that might be a little bit spiritual, but you know the other thing. <laughs> you know, I know you got to go, but no, there's no, just one more thing great. I wanted to say. I, that's great. Well, that's what I thought. You know, I thought. You know, God is working His way through animals, through whatever, and there's got to be some spirituality there. And sometimes people don't know God's right there with them, and there you go. But there's other things you learn, like you know, the New Testament was written five thousand times. The Bible was written over and. Mm-hmm. 
over and over again. Of course, you're going to learn those things. You're going to read those things when you have an in-depth study. Uh-huh. But, you know, I believe, you know, when I get to heaven, you see, I didn't say when I die. Uh-huh. I said, you know, when I, when I get to heaven, I, I believe God, and of course, Jesus is in heaven. You know, people die and they go to heaven, right? So he's there. So I believe God's going to tell me, you know, Harold, I know you had this question about these copies of 5,000 times that people copied the Bibles, and you know what? There's those guys sitting right over there if you want to talk to them. I'm going to say, no, nah, I don't think I need to anymore. And, you know, that's at that, the way at we— At that great Barnes and Noble in the sky, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and right, you're right. And and the thing of it is, and that's what's important, what we have now, not how many times. We actually, we're trying to preserve it all, and they did preserve it all. And uh, I— probably had a few more things to say, but I better, I'm kind of hyper tonight. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you had I, one, I don't particularly. You had one too much, uh-huh. one too many cups of coffee, it seems like. <laughs> I did have some coffee, and then I had some tea, and then I went to Bill Miller's and I had a half a chicken. All right. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, I'll let you guys go. And yeah, 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 that Bud Light, I mean, that light talking all the time yeah. kind of took me back when uh, I was a kid. That's great. Well, good to hear Club from 12. You. Okay. Club Honestly. 12. That was on uh, uh, Bitters Road in San Pedro, and my dad said, "When you go out there, you got to be real, real quiet, Harold, because there's people out there that wear suits. You mean they're alcoholics too? Yes, son. Everyone can be an alcoholic. You can have blue jeans, no clothes. You can be wearing a suit. And they had a grand piano in there, and I was I remember being quiet. I'm gonna let you guys go." What a life lesson, I mean to tell you. that I never knew that about Harold. His dad took him to AA meetings when he was a child, and he helped out and washed dishes. And that's that's got to be a that's got a teachable, teachable wow. moment, no doubt about it. Uh, well, I want to follow up, Jacob, a little bit on what uh, Kathy was saying. Two two things. One one is that, and I always remember this, Kathy, if you're there, and our other listeners too, that. All of this talk about whether well, Jews believe this and don't believe this, and and you know other people did what the Jews believe, in. and what we have to remember is that uh, that all of Jesus' early followers were Jews, and Jesus himself a Jew. So in other words, it's not cast in iron that all Jews don't believe this and all Jews believe something else. Uh, all of the early followers uh, in, the, in that period of time, and even today, millions of Jewish men and women well, I don't, acknowledge... I, I, actually, there's only 15 hmm. million Jews in the world today. And I would, my suspicion is about 8 to 10 to 12 million of them probably believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That you know, in their hearts, they they they. I think you know. I well, think I know that. Uh, so what, I know all God I'm trying to say is, it's not all I, one way or the other. I know the, that God doesn't believe in atheists, therefore there aren't any. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but no, that that was just one thing. It, it, I would just when we generalize a lot about what well, Jews believe this or that, uh, there there are millions of Jews who do know, who acknowledge, and are excited about. It's not that they've become Christians. That's not the. That's not the point at all. They're still Jewish men. We are the ones as Gentiles who have become Jews, as we've chosen to follow the Messiah. We're the ones that have opted into Judaism. We're we're following the worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah. We're reading the, the prophets and the and the laws of God from the Torah and from uh, and so and we're following the Jewish Messiah, Redeemer. So it's not. 
not it's not that they're converting and becoming Christians that but the fact is that there are millions of Jewish men and women who who do believe have come to believe that Jesus is was was and is that that long awaited promised Messiah. So it it's not it's not like all believe this and all you know all Jews don't and all do, Jews do. It, there's a there is a, the, a division there. But I want to ask you, Jacob. I knew we were going to get to it. What about this? What about this? Uh, for example, Isaiah fifty three. Was there any understanding that th- that the Messiah back then or even now? That biblically, that the part of the way you would recognize the Messiah would that he would be a suffering servant as well, not only the the conquering hero and all and teaching Torah, but was there any other indication that the Messiah would be one who would uh, would suffer, who would partake uh, in in some somehow in the redemptive plan, atoning plan, death or anything? I know Isaiah fifty three talks about it, but is it found anywhere else? Well, Isaiah 53 is read differently by the Jews, so I don't right. want to mislead you. So they take that a little differently. They don't relate Isaiah 53 to the Messiah? Oh, there may be some, uh, but generally I'd say not. But hmm. on, to answer the the fundamentals of your question, uh, was there an idea of a, a suffering servant that might die? They actually and come back. Well, in the Christian theology, it's Jesus. He does both the the dying, the coming back, and uh, he's conquering the fi- hero, yeah. finally conquering hero uh-huh. in Revelation. Now, there was something called uh, that they did have a name for it actually, and yes, I'd say there is a understanding that there was something called uh, the uh, there's a two messiahs they thought. Don't, the, mess with, don't mess with the Zohar, is it? No. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to. No, that's okay. I, I started to make a joke, but I thought I better not. Okay. Um, but the uh, but so there was a there was a Messiah uh, uh, of a, of jo- Joseph, and uh, he might die, but the Messiah, son of David, will be the conquering hero. And so that kind of thing was prevalent, and it was a thought, and it still would be a possible thought today. It, who, are, who are some of the other messiahs? No, I don't think we communicated. No, I don't think we communicated. You asked me about the suffering servant business. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And in the Christian ideology and theology, he is, Jesus fulfills both those rules. I'm sorry, I, my microphone was turned down. That's why that happened. I was just wondering, uh, the, you said there are other Messiah figures, uh, Moses, David. Yeah, and but that's other. not what I'm talking about. You asked me about the suffering servant. Uh-huh, said, uh-huh. Yeah, there was that concept. But they had they had it broken up into two Messiahs. And so, but as I understand Christian theology, Jesus fulfills both those rules of those two Messiahs. Okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, that's... Well, I was just wondering about Moses or others that were considered messiahs. Sure, there's lots of them. Was, was suffering uh, an aspect of their experience? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I, it came to my mind, would that be something that a, a Jewish person might rightly consider to be a characteristic 
of the Messiah, that there would, there would be in some way a suffering or a servant role as opposed to the king, conquering well, king, you know, authority the one thing role. That, uh, I know, I, like, like what I was discussing with Kathy, the one thing fundamentally is this, is generally speaking, what the Christians have in Revelation as Jesus coming back as a conquering king. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Restoring Israel and so on. Well, uh, the whole thing. Uh-huh. And making the world right. Not just Israel, but the whole world. That idea, that Christian concept that comes the second coming of Jesus is what the Jews have always expected. So what I, and maybe I failed to make that clear. Uh-huh. Maybe I confused Kathy. I don't know. But uh, but my point is that if that's what the Jews have always expected, and the Christians expect that on the second coming, that looks like the same understanding to me. Yeah, it does. I, I kind of just have a little epiphany as you're talking there that maybe what we have joined now in a way as as Gentiles now grafted into Israel, we're following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on, and and uh, through our understanding of the atoning work of Jesus, of the Messiah, that now in some ways maybe that, would it be true that, uh, this is me trying to kind of reconcile this in my mind, maybe we have joined you in that sense now as Israel, in that what we are waiting for now is that restoration. We we like you. We like you too. No, no, no. We... <laughs> like we like you, uh, we um, similar to you in that sense. Uh, we are now waiting on that yeah. fulfillment, See, I, that I ultimate fulfillment this, as well. I can't say this is the case, but I have this theory uh-huh. that the Jews envisioned the last days, uh-huh. and therefore, in the last days, they were envisioning what you would call uh, the conquering Messiah. And and so all this other things that came intermediarily, uh-huh. uh, the suffering servant, all that kind of the stuff. The atoning and work all and all that. All that is nothing more than for the non-Jews. They got all that. But now, just as you're saying, we're now at So this, in other words, we've been brought up to speed with where you were, where well, you are as... This is just my, my theory. Uh-huh. I can't say I, it's correct. But I know that the... The idea of what the Christians expect in Revelation as this conquering king, uh, that's what the Jews have always expected. So uh-huh. the Jews were th- saying, well, that's what he's supposed to do. And you make a good point because, as I understand Christian theology, that's what we're doing now, too. We're waiting on that return of the conquering king. Exactly what the Jews have said from the beginning that the Messiah will do. Now, I see that as dovetailing, and I don't see that as a Mm -hmm. contradiction or any separation. I see it as a united point of view. Yeah, and and that's what I was just saying. It came to me as you were that maybe. In that sense, we, we, I guess the only difference is, is that w- we seem to be waiting with a greater, I don't know how to say it. I, I, I don't mean this in any competition terms. It's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just saying we're waiting uh, from a, a, a different point of, we're waiting for Jesus to come back and to to ultimately fulfill and complete the work, his work as Messiah, to bring it all together. Whereas 
in, in a sense, I'm guessing, you're waiting as well and wanting him to, and if he is, then of course, but you're waiting until that point before you recognize him as Messiah. We've already recognized him as Messiah, but based on other things, uh, suffering servant, prophecies, you know, fulfilled uh, his quality of his life, who he was and so on. So we're we're waiting. We're both waiting on Jesus, in a sense. But you're with waiting, in a sense, uh, for him to come out, so that you can make your decision then as to whether or not he was the Messiah. We've already decided he is the Messiah, and we're just waiting for him to come back and complete his work. Is that inaccurate? No, I can live with it. I can live with it. Okay, all right. It's just, it's just curious to me uh, about. It's funny we are we are both waiting on him, but we're waiting, believing him to be who, who he said he was, and believing him to be the. We're waiting in a kind of an excited anticipation way because we've already we've already we've already gone all in with Jesus. You know, uh, you're waiting in a different way. Of you're waiting for him to come back and to see if you're going to go all in with Jesus, and it, it, it's a little bit. That seems to be the difference between us, I guess. Let's separate. The Jews expect the Messiah, the king. He will be a conquering king, like what we read about in uh, the book of Revelation. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Uh uh However, uh, there's no argument about the actions the Messiah will take. Uh, at this point, uh, the Christians accept Jesus was him. The Jews do not ex- accept the idea of the Messiah. It's their idea. They came up with it. You know, that's where it comes from. Sure. And that was really kind of my point with Kathy. How would you know what the Messiah is? I mean, where does it say what the Messiah is? Somebody told people what they would expect the Messiah to do. So the, and the Jews would speak in the final days or last days. We expect the Messiah to do similar to what's in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they said. That's the end of days. That's how it's going to all conclude. And so then the, as to go through the process, as this is just my opinion, but it appears that all the other processes, the dying, the resurrecting, all everything else, uh, brings you to the same point that it's the Messiah. Now, if it's Jesus, everybody's going to say, well, what do you know? It was Jesus. And it, whether it is or not, the Jews will say, well, that's the Messiah. Because not only will he be able to fulfill it, but he must be able to teach the laws and Torah. And he'll bring the whole world into doing God's laws on earth. The God's laws, as I've said many times, have nothing to do with getting to heaven. That's how you're supposed to live as a human being. And that's what the the king, uh, the Messiah, is supposed to do. And so what they expect is... And what you've always said Jesus did. Uh, I'm satisfied that Jesus was teaching Torah. And I think he did a fine job. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the problems is when I hear by some people, they say, well, he's not... You know, he 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 freed us from the Torah and freed us from the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If somebody says that to me, then I have to, I'm left with the only one conclusion that if he if you don't have to follow Torah, if you don't have to follow God's laws, then the guy you're telling me about is not the Messiah. Right. Okay, but I do want to tell you one more thing. Sure. In chapter 35, uh-huh. talking about miracles, in chapter 35, 
you know how we see Jesus doing these miracles, healing the blind, the crippled, the lame, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, how would that be any kind of a prophecy for the Messiah to do? Because in Isaiah, in chapter 35, it says that basically that's what's going to happen. In 35, uh, 5, it says the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unshut or open. The lame will leap like deers. And so that all these things that we see in the stories about Jesus doing, this is all prophesied that shall be done. But it's all mentioned by the Messiah. Isaiah. So you see. This. Well, I remember John the Baptist, actually, remember, who introduced Jesus and kind of pointed people toward him as the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist is the forerunner who presents Jesus as the Messiah. But even he from prison uh, sent his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the Messiah? Are we to wait for someone else to come? Yeah. And Jesus' answer was that passage you just read. Tell, said, go back and tell John the Baptist, yeah, if you notice, the blind Jesus see, the lame not, walk. You if know. you notice what you're talking about, he did not answer the question. Instead, he said to Jesus, the, the, or John's disciples, go back and tell them what you have seen. And he talks about the, the hearing, the blind, the deaf, the lame. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, um, so he's saying, go back and tell them you've seen all that happened. Well, certainly it's prophesied, but it comes from Isaiah. So that's one of the things, like my question to Kathy was, well, how do you know what the Messiah is supposed to do? Well, if you ask me that same question, uh-huh. I think classically uh, we believe that the, the, the evidence that we look to to, find, to make our decision, was Jesus, in fact, this long-awaited promised Messiah? Well, there were four basic evidences. One was the prophecies. There were predictions in the Old Testament about what this Messiah would be like, where he'd be born, where he, you know, certain things about him. Is it accepted in, in that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem or not? Sure. Okay. Why? Uh, why? City of David. I don't know why. David. Okay. So see, that's what my point is, the stories. Okay. Tell us something about the characteristic. Now, but it was Micah. He said, oh, Beth- "Oh, Bethlehem, a tiny little city, insignificant that you are, but out of you will become the great king." That was my. Well, wasn't he's that the he's prophet- saying that because he knows the story of David. Micah's right. way down the line. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I know, but I'm saying that one of the ways that we would say that Jesus is the, the Messiah is because. Uh, we are told that there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about And many of the things something that people about, say are prophecies, the Jews would never take as prophecies. Okay, all right. But, but we are told that there sure, are. Sure, that's fine. But, but uh, Bethlehem was one that you take as a prophecy. Oh, well, we know from the stories, characteristics, the, may I say it like this, the qualities of the Messiah were introduced into the world so we would know what to expect when we seen the Messiah. Okay. If, if, let's say if someone came up and presented themselves to be the Messiah, and right. they, they're teaching the Torah, yes. they're doing everything, what you just mentioned, right. but then you discover that they were not born in Bethlehem, would yes. that eliminate them? Yes. 
Okay. So, okay. So the only characteristic of the Messiah, not just they teach Torah or do miracles, or do miracles but, but they, so that's what we say. We, we, we kind of look. Now, maybe we take those 300 prophecies. We're looking in retrospect, and we're saying whether that happened. But, uh, but in other words, fulfillment of the prophecies is one characteristic of Messiah. Secondly, the nature of his own life and teachings, that he would, he would be a godly man, he would follow, obey uh, Torah, and that he would teach Torah. Well, that's really my point. That's one of those little, little kind of curious hot buttons for me. I always wonder, how do you know if he's teaching God's laws if you don't read God's laws and know what this okay. wrote there? Well, assuming that some of us Gentiles do read God's laws, we see that he read and kept God's laws, and then we we see his death and resurrection, and then finally we look at the changed lives, the transferred li- transformed lives of his followers, Jew and Gentile and Jewish. And so those are the evidences we generally classically look at to indicate that Jesus was indeed that Messiah. Time is up. It flew by tonight, didn't it? Yeah. And no no way am I in any way saying that the Christians should not think Jesus is the Messiah. The Father's Bible Live. I'll always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. (laughs) I'd like to get that in at the end of the program. See you next week, folks. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.